Hello there. You are listening to the MCC Sunday Sermon. We are so glad you could join us. We pray that this message will encourage you, build your faith on your journey with God. Enjoy. If you've got your Bible with you this morning, would you turn with me to John chapter 10? We're going to read one verse before we get to our main passage today. John chapter 10 and verse 10 is Jesus speaking. And Jesus in John 10 verse 10 outlines his purpose. That if we're to join him in his purpose, this is Jesus' purpose. John chapter 10 and verse 10, it's on the screen behind me. Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. If it's stealing, if it's killing, if it's destroying, then probably somewhere in its orchestration, there's an enemy involved in that. But Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. In this verse, in John chapter 10 and verse 10, Jesus highlights his purpose. He highlights four significant values. Jesus says, I have come, that's proactive. That you might have, that's others focused. Life, that's life giving. And not just any life, but life in all of its fullness. Life in its abundance. Life overflowing, that's generous. Proactive, others-focused, life-giving, and generous. Those are the four values that highlight Jesus' purpose. Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. That that as people who've committed our lives to following Jesus, that, that we would join Jesus in his purpose, that those four values would become significant in our lives. To be proactive, to, to be others-focused, to be life-giving, and to be generous. That's the kind of people that we are. That's the kind of church we aspire to be. Well, last week we talked about uh, the word for this year being a word of strength. And, and I, I've got to say that for Elise and I, last weekend was really special for, for this reason, to watch the church earnestly respond to God. Yeah. As we prayed for and commissioned and anointed people that this would be a year of strength. I believe this with every fiber of my being, that, that God's word for our church this year would be strength. How does the church get stronger? Marriages get stronger. Lives get stronger. Spiritual walks get stronger. That God wants to add strength to your life and to mine. And that in so doing, that God would add strength to us as a church. I honestly believe that God wants to be able to add strength to your life. Do you believe that? But if God added strength to your life this year, how would you know? Well, there need to be some measures. And maybe you walked away from last weekend thinking, do you know what, if God's going to add strength to my life, maybe there's some areas of my life that I want to be deliberate about, areas that I want to pray about, areas that I want to build a goal or a vision for God to add strength in this particular area of my life. And you will have areas like that and things that you were inspired about. And I've got some as well. And in each of our lives, we'll have areas where, God, if you're going to add strength to my life, how will I know? Well, I'll know because some of these things in my life will be evident. These will be measures. Well, I actually believe that one of those measures is the prominence of these four values in our life. Proactive, others-focused, life-giving, and generous. Think about it. A strong church is a proactive church. 
How can you tell that it's strong? Well, one of the ways you can tell that the church is strong is, is that it's proactive. It's not keeping the aquarium. It's becoming fishes of men. We're not waiting for things to happen and hoping on the sweet by and by. No, we're the kind of people who get on the balls of our feet and make some stuff happen because we serve a God who's proactive. So we want to be. By the way, in our church, if you're new, we do this thing called back the clap. If any person claps, even in an awkward moment in this service, you have to clap along with them, all right? So, so a strong church is a proactive church. A strong church is an others-focused church. How can you tell that it's strong? Well, it's others-focused. It's not looking inwardly. It's looking outwardly. I love the fact that we have windows on this side. So that when it comes to that moment of prayer in the service and you're thinking, what can I pray for? You can look out the window and know exactly who it is you could pray for, right? We are others focused. We are outwardly looking. A strong church is an others focused church. A strong church is a life-giving church. Come on, a strong church is a church who knows how to be able to lift their hands in worship and have a joke at the same time. There's some strength in that. Right, If you need like a long warm-up before you can laugh, that's not strong. But strong is being able to be spiritual and also be able to have fun. This would be a life-giving church that when people walk in here, they'd walk out feeling buoyant. They'd feel like weight has come off their shoulders. They'd feel like no matter what I face this week, I know I've got a God who's with me. I've got hope for my future. That we would be a life-giving church. A strong church is a proactive church. A strong church is an others-focused church. A strong church is a life-giving church. A strong church is a generous church. Always trying to find ways, right, to be generous. Why? Because generosity unlocks people's hearts. You could fill that blank in with anything. Take the word church out. And you would find that those four values still are a measure of strength in a person's life because they're convictions. Think about this way. A strong marriage is a proactive marriage. We're not, we're not working on our marriage once we find a problem. We're going to work on our marriage before we find the problems. We're going to be proactive. We're not going to be reactionary. No, no, we're going to be on the front foot. We're not going to do a marriage course after we hit the wall, but we can do a marriage course every year in order to be able to invest into our marriage because we're not waiting for something to appear. We're going to be proactive about it. A strong marriage is an others-focused marriage where you find a couple who, who they're actually more focused on the needs of their spouse than on their own needs. That's a strong marriage. A strong marriage is a life-giving marriage where the words I speak and the actions I do Bring life to my spouse and to my family. Come on, a strong marriage is a generous marriage. Think about it this way. A strong business is a proactive business. Not sitting back and waiting for things to happen, but, but beginning to be initiative-taking, leadership-orientated, beginning to make things happen. A strong business is a proactive business. A strong business is an others-focused business. Well, you're focused on finding a problem that your customers have and then being able to fulfill or to be able to resolve that problem for them. Not for how they can be a blessing to you, but for you, how can you be a blessing to them? A strong business is an others-focused business. A strong business is a life-giving business. A strong business has the ability to be a generous business. You can put anything in the blank. But you begin to realize that when you join Jesus in his purpose, that these four significant values become a measure for God adding strength. 
And so for these Sundays in February, we're going to look at each one of these values one at a time and begin to build convictions around them that they might become a prominent measure for strength, a prominent measure for joining Jesus in his purpose this year. And so today we're going to begin with the very first value. It's proactive. Jesus said, I have come. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes just for a minute as we pray? Lord, I thank you this morning for your word. God, I pray that you would help me to be able to preach it. Holy Spirit, I ask today that you would open our hearts. God, open our ears. That God, today we might be encouraged and challenged and inspired. That when we leave this place, we might leave different than when we arrived. Lord, build strength into each person's life today, I pray. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells a parable about two proactive servants and one inactive servant. We think that the opposite to being proactive is actually being reactive, but that's not true. The opposite to being proactive is not reactive because the key root word in the word proactive is the word active, which means the opposite of being proactive is actually being inactive. You can think about it as a scale, right? That on this end of the scale, you've got inactive. Somewhere in the middle, you've got reactive. And on this far end, the opposite of being inactive, you've got being proactive because the key word in the word proactive is actually being active. It's a faith-orientated word. And so in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells a parable about two proactive servants and one inactive, lazy servant. Here's what the Bible says, Matthew 25 and verse 14 says, And again, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who'd received five bags of gold went at once and put money to work and gained five bags more. And so also the, son, the one who had two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. And the man who'd received five bags of gold brought the other five to the master. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. Verse 21, notice this. And his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. The man who had two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. And his master replied, notice the exact same phrase. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Verse 24. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew you to be a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid. And I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. And his master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. Jesus is telling a parable about two proactive servants and one inactive servant. But what I want you to notice in this parable that Jesus tells is the commendation of the master to to the proactive servants. It's repeated twice because Jesus is helping us to see something here. The master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. 
That the master is actually highlighting that these are the convictions of the life of a person who's decided I'm going to be proactive. That these are the convictions of a person who said, God, I want you to add strength to my life. I want to be on the balls of my feet. I want to be a proactive person. I want to be used by you. Well done, good and faithful servant. That Jesus is highlighting the values, the mindset, the attitude of a proactive person. Remember how Jesus begins this parable. He begins it by saying that the kingdom of heaven is like. That this isn't about business principles. This is about kingdom of heaven principles. This is about how strong disciples live their life. This is about how mature Christians conduct themselves. This is what God is looking for as he builds strength into our lives. And so I want to share with you this morning, as we look at this word proactive, what does that mean? If God's going to add that strength to our life, I want to look at the five convictions of a proactive person. Here's number one, if you're taking notes. The master says, well, the first conviction of a proactive person. Here's the conviction if you want to write down. I will do the very best I can with faith. A proactive person has as a conviction of their life that, that I want to do things well, that if they're worth doing at all, then they're worth doing well. I want to do them with excellence. I'm going to do the very best I can with faith. Excellence is actually a value that honors God. Excellence is not perfection, right? If excellence was perfection, then we should all give up on that idea because none of us will be perfect. But, but excellence is not perfection. Excellence is focused on progress, not on perfection. In the same way that strength is focused on progress, not on perfection. Excellence is not about what you do. Excellence is actually about the way that you do it. I know that there's been husbands in the room who've ever had this said to them, but I've had it said to me. Dan, it's not what you said, it's the way you said it. Right? Because there's a big difference between those two things. It's, it's not just what you said, it's the, it's the way you said it. It's the tone that you said it. Well, that's what excellence is orientated towards. Excellence is not just about what you do. Excellence is about the way that you do it. Excellence in the details. Over the last 14 years of marriage, I've worked out that love is also in the details. FYI, we're 10 days away from Valentine's Day. Just heads up, right? You're welcome. You're welcome. Excellence is in the details. Love is also in the details, right? Which means when you do things with excellence, you communicate love. Why does excellence matter to God? Because excellence actually reflects God's own nature. Because everything God does, he does it with excellence. Think about creation. In the first couple of chapters of Genesis, God creates the entire universe. And it's interesting that at the end of each day, God sits back and he looks at what he's done and he says it's good. And he comes the next day and creates and says it's good. And he comes the next day and he says it's good. Genesis 1 verse 31. God saw everything that he had made and indeed it was very good. God didn't create and sit back and think, ah, oh, it's close enough. It's, a, it's about right. You know what? It, it, it's, it's close enough. 
No, no, no. When God does something, when God sets his mind to it, God does it with excellence because it's a part of his nature. It's a part of his character. He can't help but do the fact that not just the best, but because God, by his nature, is excellent. Think about the fact that not just what God does is excellent, but God himself is excellent. Psalm 8 verse 1 says this. It says, how excellent is your name, O Lord. Even God's name is excellent. Think about Daniel in the Old Testament. That here is a young Hebrew boy who's taken, and all the best and the brightest of Israel are taken, and they're taken into captivity, and they're sent to be able to serve in Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. That they take the best and the brightest, and they put them alongside the Babylonian best and brightest. That they they put all the good-looking, all the smart, all the people that look a lot like Kuparog. They put them all there, like Dara. They put them all there together, right? These are the these are the cream of the crop. And yet, there was something about Daniel that caused him to be able to stand out. Daniel chapter six and verse three says Daniel distinguished himself above the leaders of Babylon because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king gave thought to settling him over the whole realm. Why? Because everything Daniel did, if it was worth doing, it was worth doing well. There was an an excellence in the spirit of how he did things that caused, even when they put all of the best and the brightest together, there was something about Daniel that caused him to stand out to a pagan king who at this stage did not even believe in God but could tell there was something special about this person. A proactive person values excellence. A proactive person asks the question, is this really the very best that I can do? A proactive person who values excellence thinks, if it's worth doing, then it's worth doing well. That excellence would become a conviction, a strength of our lives. Here's the second one. Well done, the master says. Done stands for persistence. Here's the conviction. I'll do whatever it takes. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 1 says, Thus the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them were finished. Isn't it awesome that God actually finished creation? Like didn't, didn't leave anything out. Right? Because for you and I, we, we might have left something out. Like gotten through and thought, it all looks pretty good. I think I've forgotten something. Maybe gravity? Imagine if God left that part out. Right? But the God... Right? It doesn't just do things with excellence. No, no, no. God gets things done. He gets them finished. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 10. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Done. As you study the scriptures, you begin to realize that the heroes of faith throughout the scripture were just people who weren't particularly brilliant, who weren't necessarily particularly gifted. They just were people who got stuff done. They got things finished. Think about Noah. Imagine if Noah almost finished the ark. It'd be a very different story, wouldn't it? Like we almost did, like we built the whole thing, we just forgot to put pitch on the outside to waterproof it. It looks good, we just didn't get it quite finished in time. Noah, uh, sorry, Genesis chapter 6 verse 16. You shall make a window in the ark and you shall finish it and set the door of the ark on its side. Think about Moses, Exodus chapter 40 and verse 33. And so Moses finished the work. When you read through the scripture, you realize that people who were used by God were just people who were persistent enough to get it done. You can think of lots of examples of this, right? That when you think of people like Noah, Noah spends 120 years building an ark. I'm sure there were lots of days where he thought, is this really worth it? 
Is this really what God wants me to do? Am I sure I heard God right? It's not, the scripture does not tell us that God came back every other week to be able to remind Noah. No, no, God speaks to him once, and on one word from God, Noah begins to commit himself to be able to build an ark. And when the rain came from heaven, I'm pretty sure he was glad that on that day he'd actually followed through and finished what God had asked him to be able to do. If we're committed to getting what God has called us to do done, then we must refuse to make excuses. If God's going to build strength into your life and mine, then I reckon one of the measures will be that excellence will become a conviction of our life, but also that persistence will become a strength of our life. Benjamin Franklin said this. He said, he that is good at making excuses is seldom good at anything else. Florence Nightingale said, I attribute my success to this. I never gave nor took any excuses. Come on, a person who's got strength built into their life realizes, I can make excuses or I can make progress, but I can't make both. It's my choice. Think about Solomon. He was the wisest man who ever lived. This is what the scripture says of Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 6 and verse 14. So Solomon built the temple and finished it. 1 Kings 7 verse 1, so Solomon took 13 years to build his own house, so he finished all his house. It's not just that men and women in the scripture who were used by God were people who were persistent enough to finish, but God himself is a finisher. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. That, That when you and I, have the strength of persistence in our own life, saying, God, I need you to help me become a little more like you, to be someone who, when I've applied myself to something, I want to be somebody who finishes it, not just because my wife has given me a list of chores that I haven't completed yet, but because, God, I want to reflect you. I want to be like you. Who, When you begin a good work, you see it through. Think about John chapter 19 and verse 30. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. How different would Easter be if Jesus said, I got it almost done. I did most of the work. I've just left you with a few percent left to do yourself. Jesus didn't do that. No, Jesus was able to say confidently on the cross, it is finished because he had done it all. He had set himself to do the very thing that was, that it was his purpose in coming and he'd done it. And because Jesus got it finished, you and I are the beneficiaries of a grace. We need to do nothing to receive except ask. But that's only possible because Jesus was persistent enough to finish. When I finish, I actually reflect the nature of God. I can believe to finish. I can believe to be persistent. I can believe to get things done because the God I serve is a finisher. And so a proactive person values persistence. A proactive person asks, did I do what I said I would do? A proactive person thinks, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get this done. Here's the third one. Well done, Good. Good stands for humility. If God's going to build a strength into your life and mine, then it ought to be, it ought to be a strength of humility. Here's the conviction for humility. It's that I will keep a right spirit at all times. 
I've got to admit to you, that's a lot easier to be able to say out loud than to actually do. That I'll keep a right spirit at all times. Right? Because no one's offended you yet. Because you haven't been discouraged yet. Because there hasn't been disappointment yet. Right? But at some point throughout this year, you're going to face disappointment and discouragement and offense and things not panning out the way that you thought. And this, let this be a reminder to you, God, you're building strength into my life. You're building humility into my life, which means, God, I've got a conviction in my heart. I'm going to keep a right spirit at all times. I'm going to keep a right spirit in spite of circumstances. This is about being good on the inside rather than becoming aware of goodness on the outside. We have a culture that is obsessed with outward beauty, but God is obsessed with inward beauty. That that humility of heart that says, I'm going to keep a right spirit. Proverbs 25 and verse 28 is a great scripture. It says, whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. That's powerful. That Proverbs is telling us that if you don't rule over your spirit, if you don't make a conscious decision to keep a right spirit, then you leave yourself vulnerable to attack, like a city whose walls have been broken down. The picture is that of a man who has the good things in his life stolen from him because he failed to keep a right spirit. This is the part of the sermon where you just look straight ahead. Don't look sideways. Definitely don't look at your spouse. Come on, we all know people who've had some of the treasures of their life stolen because the walls were broken down and bitterness stole from them. That's why the scripture says, whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. God builds strength into my life, builds humility into my life, that, that every day would be a conscious decision. God, I'm going to keep a right spirit at all times. Because I don't want the treasures of my life, the things that you've entrusted to me, to be stolen because of disappointment or because of discouragement or because bitterness begins to take a hold. No, no, God, build strength into my life. Think about Caleb. Numbers chapter 14 and verse 24. But my servant Caleb, God says, because he has a different spirit in him and has followed me fully, I'll bring him into the land where he went and his descendants will inherit it. Caleb managed to keep a right spirit when it was only him and Joshua and everybody else was saying, God can't do this and this is too difficult. And he had to spend another 40 years out on the backside of a desert, but he didn't allow bitterness to get in his heart. And because he kept a right spirit, God said, you know what? There's something different about you. I'm going to let you and Joshua go into the promised land. Why? Because Caleb kept a right spirit. David knew that the value of his life was more than just about his gift. It was more than just about his talents. It was more than just about his abilities. It was actually about his heart. When David was just a boy and he was anointed to be king, you remember this story? That Samuel comes to be able to anoint, and he goes to anoint all the other brothers, leaving David completely to last because Samuel's looking at the outward appearance and God reminds Samuel, he says, look, man looks at the outward appearance, but for God, he looks at the heart. That was such an important thing for David to remember. That actually God is not choosing me based on my gifts and talents. God's not choosing me on my abilities. God's choosing me because of something that no one else can see. He's choosing me because of what's in here. Not as a result of what's out there. It was the strength of humility in David's life. And that didn't mean that David always got it right. David got it very, very wrong at times. That David's sleeping with another man's wife and then organizing for that guy to be killed. And 
And when the prophet comes to David and confronts him on it, this is what he says. He pens this psalm. Psalm 51 is David's response after he gets it really, really wrong. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Why? Because David remembered that actually it's keeping a right spirit that is actually the reason why I got God's attention in the first place. And the last thing I can afford to do in my life is to allow bitterness or to allow sin or to allow compromise or to allow discouragement or something else to get. God, I'm going to keep a right spirit at all times, even when I get it completely wrong. A proactive person values humility. A proactive person asks, is this a good spirit? Is this a good attitude? A proactive person thinks, I'm going to keep a right spirit at all times. Well done, good, faithful. Faithful stands for faith. The conviction here is that I will stay full of faith. We tend to think that faithful means longevity, right? That Arnie Beryl has been faithful in that job for 25 years. Actually, she's been terrible at her job for 25 years. She's been there for a long time. Hopefully no one's got an Arnie Beryl. I tried to pick a really obscure name just then. Oh, there's two people lifted their hands. Oh, gosh. Not that Arnie Beryl. It's the other Arnie Beryls. It's the problem. We think of faithfulness as longevity, but faithfulness is not longevity. Faithfulness is exactly what it says. Being full of faith. This person's been faithful in this role for 25 years. No, they've been an obstruction for 25 years. Because faithfulness is actually about being full of faith. Come on, if God's going to build a strength into your life, then then I pray you to be a strength of faith. God, help me to be a person who's full of faith. Let the conviction of my life be, God, help me to stay full of faith. How do you do that? How do you stay full of faith? The truth is you choose. You, You can choose your response at any time. You serve a God who supplies us with a measure of faith. So you get to choose. I can respond in faith or I can respond in fear. I can respond in faith or I can respond in disappointment. Come on, a person who's got God building strength into their life just decides, I'm going to make the choice. God, help me to stay full of faith. God, help me to be reminded of your goodness and faithfulness. Help me to be a person who, who, who I'm bringing the tide up, not bringing the tide down. You choose to be full of faith. You don't always feel like it, but you make the choice to be full of faith. There are lots of things that will erode our faith. Discouragement does that. Disappointment does that. Doubt does that. But ultimately, those things will just try to make you choose fear over faith. I remember being, this years ago when we were youth pastors, being in a planning meeting with a bunch of young guys. Half of them were in high school and half of them had just finished. And we're planning this thing and, and, and attempting to do it and and I sort of flippantly said to the guys, I said, well, you know, let's just give it a go. I mean, what's the worst that could happen? And I'll never forget this because one of the young guys is 18. He's now a pastor of a church um, in South Africa. He, he looked up at the whole group and stared me down and said, why would we ask that question? Why would we ask what's the worst that can happen? Why wouldn't we ask what's the best that God could do? That was, that was almost cut there. I've never forgotten it because it, it, it struck me. Because I would consider myself to be a person who tries to keep faith as a prominent part of my life, to, to believe God. 
But it was such a stark reminder. Why would I ask what's the worst that could happen? I want to ask what's the best that we could do? What's the best that God could do? I have to clear fear out in order to be able to make some room for faith. So I remind myself of scriptures like 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. That fear is like a forest that prevents you from seeing what exists further. Listen to the words of the inactive servant. Matthew 25 verse 25. I was afraid. I was scared. I was fearful. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. That fear will cause you to bury opportunity. Let faith be a strength of your life. Because if fear becomes a strength of your life, you'll bury opportunity. You'll bury good things that God's bringing into your life because you're afraid of being vulnerable. What could you do if you were not afraid of failing? Proverbs 28 verse 1. The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as lions. That God has called you and I to clear out fear and to live bold lives of faith. Well done, good, full of faith servant. A proactive person values faith. A proactive person asks, is that faith? Is that attitude faith? Is that step? Has that got faith attached to it? Is that pushing me outside of my comfort zones? Does, Does that look like faith? A proactive person thinks, I'm going to stay full of faith. I'm going to make the choice. Well done, good, faithful servant is the last thing that the master says. Servant stands for generosity. Here's the conviction that I believe I'm called to serve and to refresh others. Next week, we're going to look at that next word, right? which is others focused, but in some ways this kind of ties itself to it, that that I believe I'm called to serve and to refresh others. The scripture says of Jesus that he did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That if I'm going to reflect the heart of God, if I'm going to live like Jesus did, if I'm going to join Jesus in his purpose, that then it's actually not about people serving me. It's actually, I believe that God's called me to, to serve and to refresh others. I remember when Johnny and I were, uh, sorry, when Elise and I were pastoring in another church and Johnny was really little. I remember one night as I'm putting him to bed, he, he turns to me and he's, he's just started to work this out. And he said, Dad, you're like, you're like the boss of the church, right? I said, yeah, Daddy, Daddy and Mum lead the church, which really means we serve people. He said, yeah, yeah, but like you're the boss. Like people have to do what you say, right? Like, do you know what that means, Johnny? That, that means that, that we, we actually get to serve other people. He said, yeah, yeah, but, but like Uncle Adam, like he's the kid's pastor, like he has to do what you say, right? Which kind of makes me like the kid boss of the church, isn't it, Dad? It's like the more I insisted that actually what this means is that we serve people, it was like it was not quite computing. Because the default setting of a person's life is actually not to serve others, it's to serve themselves. Our whole culture is wired that way. Which means if we're going to reflect God, if we're going to be countercultural, then Jesus himself said, I didn't come to be served. 
Come on, the king of all the universe, that the Lord of all lords, the prince of heaven did not come to be served, if anybody deserved to be served and waited upon. But he didn't come to be served. He came to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. That, that when God builds strength into a person's life, that servant stands for generosity. Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 25. Let this be a key verse for you. That the generous will prosper. Those who refresh others, God says, will themselves be refreshed. You can take that to the bank. That's a promise from God that the generous will prosper and those who refresh others, God says, I'm not going to allow you putting me first to make you second. So, so if you refresh others, you yourself will be refreshed. That, you know, that's a prayer for Elise and I for every single person. For the worship team who come in early, right, and who give up time and are here, that, that as they've committed themselves to serve and refresh and to lead the church in worship, that they themselves, that God would refresh them, that, that you and I would be recipients of that. Isaiah chapter 32 and verse 8. But a generous man devises generous things, and by generosity he shall stand. I believe I'm called to serve and to refresh others. C.S. Lewis in the book Mere Christianity wrote this. He said, I do not believe, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid that the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. If our charities do not at all pinch or hamper us, I shall say they are too small. There ought to be things which we would like to do and cannot do because our charitable expenditure excludes them. That in every area of my life, I believe I'm called to serve and to refresh others. And that as I do that, God is no man's debtor, that he will add and refresh to my life. But the truth is we can never serve others while we're still thinking of ourselves. That's why this is a strength. That, that actually being generous is not about thinking less of ourselves. It's just actually thinking about ourselves less. That the great challenge is to forget ourselves long enough to be useful for others. It's only when we stop focusing on our needs that we become aware of those needs that are around us. And this is what Jesus meant when he said in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 25, if you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. But we live in a culture where every person is grasping for the very last thing they can get. But, but, but Jesus said, if you want to hold on tightly to things, you'll find you lose it. But, but if you give up your life for, for my sake, to, to join me in serving others, then you'll save it. When you forget yourself, you do the very things that deserve to be remembered. Come on, think about this. This is exactly what Jesus did. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 7. Jesus made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a servant. To be a servant of God is to be committed to using our time and our talents and our treasure to help others. And that others are helped is the only reward that we need. That people serve but not for a self-serving reason, but simply in order to be able to reflect God. Here's the truth. Thinking like a servant is difficult because it challenges the basic problem of my life. The basic problem of my life is self-centeredness. So generosity is living by this principle that when you receive something, never forget it. And when you give something... Never remember it. 
A proactive person values generosity. A proactive person asks, is that generous? Is that more than is expected? A proactive person thinks, I'm called to serve and to refresh others. That God wants to build strength into your life and mine as the worship team comes back this morning. God wants to build strength into your life and mine. How will we know if that strength is being built in that I actually think it'll be the prominence of these four values? The first one is being proactive. That, That you and I would have these convictions. Well done, good, faithful servant. That they're the convictions of a person who's decided, God, I want that strength in my life. I want to be a proactive person. Well done, good, faithful servant. That's not just the words you want to hear when you cross through the pearly gates. It's the way you live your life right now. Why is this important? Because ultimately, it's reflected in Jesus. Where do we start this whole conversation? Jesus said, I have come. Aren't you? If Jesus was waiting for us to make our way to him, he would still be waiting. Instead, God, who was proactive, didn't wait for us to try and make our way to him. Instead, he came to us. When you and I decide I'm going to be proactive, I'm not going to be reactive. I'm certainly not going to be inactive. I was going to be proactive. Then we actually reflect God himself. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. Demonstrates is in the present and continuing tense. This is not like God demonstrated it once and you all better remember it. No, this is how God continues to demonstrate repetitively over and over and over again. This is how God demonstrates his love for us in this, that Jesus died for us while we were still sinners. That long before we ever believed in God, God already believed in us. That long before we ever cared for God, God was already demonstrating his love and care towards us. That that before we took any step towards God, God was already sprinting in our direction. You've got to understand this because religion will try and teach you that, that actually because God's so holy, he turned his back on us. And that's not true. The scripture in Isaiah says, your sins have separated you from God. In other words, When Adam and Eve sinned, it wasn't that God turned his back on us. It's that we turned our back on him. That if we would just turn, even in repentance, we would find that God has been in the same position he's always been in. He was never far. He was always standing right there behind us with arms outstretched because God never left the place of relationship we did. It's a very godly response not a very human response, to show love before it's reciprocated. Come on, some of you remember when you first started dating that other person, right? And you're trying to work out, like, I like them, but do they like me? It's that awkward time. Depending on how old you were at that time, for the teenagers in the room, right? That's usually, right, you're trying to work it out through friends. Like, I think they like me, but I can't quite tell if they... And I'm not going to be the one to like put it out there because if they turn around and say, oh, really? I saw you as a friend. You'd be like, (laughs) yeah, I was just joking, right? You're trying to work out that weird, like, do they like me or not? Part of me liking Elise. It's not just because she was hot. It's because she also liked me back. 
I think if she didn't like me back, it probably would have changed how I felt. That's a very human response. God, unlike us, before he ever had any promise that we would ever love him back, had any promise that we'd ever repent, turn from our ways and make him the Lord and Savior of our life, said, you know what? I'm going to demonstrate. I'm going to be, I'm going to be proactive. I'm going to demonstrate my love for you in this, that even while you're still a sinner, so if you ever were to doubt whether or not God really cared, God really loved you, you could just remember back to that and know that there is a cross 2,000 years ago that casts a shadow over all of human history and of our lives as well, that God loves us so much so that He proactively came. Isn't that what the Scripture says? That we love because He first, He proactively loved us. Man, I want a church like that. Truth is, I want to be a person like that. I want to be a husband like that. I want to be a dad like that. I want to be a friend like that. God, help to build this strength into my life that I would be proactive, that the convictions of my life would be well done, good, faithful servant. Would you stand your feet this morning? I'd love to pray for you. Lord, I just thank you this morning for every single person who's in this room. God, greatly loved by you. And Holy Spirit, I pray today that these words that we've shared, that God, you'd seal them in our heart. God, even today, as someone is listening to this podcast, that Holy Spirit, you might be right there present with them in this moment. That God, you're going to add strength to their life. That God, they're going to be a proactive person. That the words that they want to live by, well done, good, faithful servant. That God, they're not doing that by willpower. God, they're actually doing that by your power. Holy Spirit, help us to live lives that reflect you. Help us to be proactive. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thank you once again for joining us. Feel free to contact us on our Facebook, our website, and jump on our Instagram at mcc.church. Also, make sure to rate and review as well as share. Finally, from all the team at MCC, Have a blessed day and until next time, bless you.